Welcome everybody to the Diecast Movie Podcast. For this episode, we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Turk here with the Diecast Movie Podcast. I hope everybody's having a great day. And today we're going to be listening to my interview of Mimi Gibson, the child actress who starred in many, many different movies. Uh, some of them I'm sure you've seen before, like 101 Dalmatians, the 1961 version, where she voiced Lucky, which everybody's, that's one of their favorite Dalmatians. I know it's my daughter's. And of course, for those of those, those like monster movies, the monster to challenge the world, but also like some little known films like the Ten Commandments from 1956. And she was also in the Wings of Eagles of John Wayne and Marine O'Hara. I mean, what can you say? Many, many other films, including Houseboat, The Buccaneer, and of course, The Children's Hour. Many, many movies. And we talk about something near and dear to her heart, a minor consideration, which we'll talk about in more detail with not only Mimi Gibson, but other people that will be coming up this year, too, to give an idea of what changes that they did for child actors that were not um, protected the way they should have been back in the day and the protections that they've helped come up with and they're still striving for. Otherwise, without further ado, let's get to the wonderful Mimi Gibson. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. Uh, today, I'm going to be joined by an actress who was in multiple, multiple films in the 50s and early 60s, uh, Mimi Gibson. She also is a writer who's written in her book, Working Girl. She's also a child rights, a child actor rights activist, which we'll get to later on, a minor consideration. But one thing I want to start off with with you, Mimi, is you used to also be a goat and llama farmer. Yes, I did. <laughs> So my husband and I moved up to the Santa Cruz Mountains and loved it there. He was a consultant and he worked at NASA and a bunch of other places. And so we decided to live in the country. And then I decided that what I wanted to do was have a goat farm. I had gotten a goat because we lived in a rural area and he was just adorable and his name was Flower. And so I decided I wanted pygmy goats. That was the perfect size for me and the perfect goat. The big ones are kind of, you have to do their feet and everything. So it was just too much of a uh, hardship <laughs> to get it beat up. <laughs> so, um, and then... Everybody told me that you have to get llamas because they'll protect the goats. Well, it's not true. Don't anybody believe that? If you have mountain lions, forget it. They can't protect the goats, and they get hurt just as much as the goats do. And we had mountain lions in the Santa Cruz Mountains uh, in Los Gatos, where I live. I believe that they're natural, and I don't want to kill them. And so it was my job to lock everything up at night and make sure everything was, because I didn't, there weren't mountain lions when I first started my farm. We lived on 33 acres. It was beautiful in the redwoods. And so I had goats and I had llamas and I had chickens and I had a peacock and hen and uh, dogs and kitties. And it was 
lovely. It was a lovely time. And we liked it very much, but my husband got sick. We found that living on the 33 acres very far away from everybody and the emergency hospital was uh, daunting. And so it was a hardship. And uh, so after I lived there for, oh gosh, eight years after he died. But then I realized I was getting old. (laughs) I was going to be by myself. And so I uh, sold the house and the property and moved to Los Angeles. So that's where I am now. And and one thing I I feel, my mom's going to be upset with me. I forgot to say thank you for coming on to the show, and I'm glad you're taking the time. My mom, I can hear my mom's voice yelling at me right now. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) You're a lovely young man, so... Well, thank you. And I'll, and I'll tell my children, I'm still, somebody's still calling me a, a young man. I'm a happy person now. You—you <laughs> 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 uh, you got into the the business when you were very, very young because you started off as a, if I read if I read correctly as a model when you were like what one and a half years old. Yeah, yeah, they could put me with. Those were the days of calendars where all the businesses gave calendars at Christmas time. And it was a big business and it was kids and animals. That was really popular. It was, you know, starting 1950 and, and that, that was what everybody did. I mean, some of the places gave girly calendars, but it was, you know, in a plain wrapper and <laughs> handed to the <to> guy. <laughs> Usually it was the auto parts places, but for most of it, it was uh, kids and animals, and you could stick me with any animal, and I would love it. I was not afraid of animals, and a lot of kids, when they're little, are afraid of animals, but I wasn't, and I was a pretty kid, and so I did a ton of those calendars, and I was the number one calendar girl in the United States. For six years. So, um, you know, I liked doing them. An agent saw me and asked my mom if she wanted to get me in movies. And mom said, yeah. (laughs) 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 So that was that. And and, and off you ran (laughs) into the movies. And I know you started off in a few things. Like a lot of your early credits, some of them you are credited, some of them you were not credited, um, but you're in a lot of different films with a lot of great actors and actresses throughout the 50s into the 60s. It's amazing. But you did start off um, one film, a, a slight case of larceny, and I don't know if you have any memories okay, of that one. That's funny because uh, I just bought the DVD because I haven't seen it. I don't know if I've ever seen it. All I remember is the sand. I wasn't especially crazy for the sand. There's a shot in the, at the beach. and uh, But that's all I remember. That's it. <laughs> I don't remember Mickey Rooney. I don't remember anybody. So I'm going to watch it this week and see if I can bring back anything out of this 
uh, hard spot <laughs> on the top of my head and see if I can get anything. But I don't, I don't have any memories of it. I have more memories of Corky of Gasoline Alley because I had, uh, it was my first movie and I was working with, uh, a little boy named Rudy Lee, and he had been in some of the calendars with me. Oh. And I liked him, and um, he played my brother, and it was it was a it was fun because I'd never done anything like that, and I was two and a half. So yeah. And, and, and listeners, you know, when I ask people, I always ask what their memories are. As she said, she was two and a half during that film, and that was just a, and a couple of years later was a slight case of larceny. So we're talking when you're a very young child, and you know, it's been a few decades since then. So it's kind of hard to recall, you know, you know, all those details and things like that. So that's why I never asked. I'm never. I'm not going to ask you like details of movies or plot, but just in general, you know, how you know different actors that you might have worked with or people like that, and you know we'll go with what you can remember. And that's, that's the, that's the things I like to record because people don't have that uh, opportunity to always meet you, but they can also read your book, which we'll get to later on, you know, and, um, and get those memories that you do recall. But sometimes it's nice to hear your voice. Yes. My voice is so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's much better than mine. Let's put it that way. So they have to suffer through my voice to get to your voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I had a lot of experiences, a lot of fun times, a lot of, uh, you know, mostly you're just going to school and waiting. And that's, you know, what your life is like. Is You're waiting to be called to the set. And during those days, we had little people as our stand-ins, so we didn't have to stand in the light while they were seeing how bright they were and, and if we were standing in the right place. And they were really fun. They were adults. They weren't little kids. And they were, you know, small people. I just loved them. Uh, sometimes there was a woman that would be my stand-in. And then a lot of times it was men. Yeah. And they were great. They were hilarious. I can imagine some of the stories because, you know, it's, it's with them because, he, you know, they're an adult, they're playing, they're standing in for a child so they can set up the equipment, get the lighting, get the shot, you know, eye, eyeballed yeah. in. So, cause but the child's time, you don't want them standing there too long. Cause I've, I'm not sure when the laws started there or how much hours they had with a child and that, you know, and that kind of thing to be used on the set. But it's, it, it's, it's one of those things that made sense to utilize people that are around the same height. Right, and they did have pretty strict laws about how long kids could be filmed, how long they could stand under the lights, and all of that. So it just was a a happy combination of of stuff. <laughs> now, there, there was a TV show that you did early on. You did a lot of different TV shows, but I'm picking one where you had a lot of episodes with, and that's The Racket Squad. You know, you were in um, six different episodes as um, if, if it's something I think to do with, if I remember correctly, um, a corrupt daycare center or, or after school center. I don't remember any of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what I do remember. I do remember um, 
I think it was in two Leave It to Beavers, but the one that I did when I was older is a hilarious Leave It to Beaver because um, it's about a girl stalking Wally. I was that girl, but I pretend to like beavers so I can get close to Wally. And I, people watch that and they send me fan letters. And it's just it's just a hilarious episode. And, you know, it was before there were stalkers, you know, and uh, that's what I was. I was a stalker. So that was fun. And I liked doing Red Skelton. That was wonderful. He was just the greatest guy ever. And all of his stuff was funny. And he loved to get the moms together and tell them dirty jokes. And make them all laugh like crazy. He was just a fun, fun guy. I like doing um, live TV. It, live TV was a challenge for all of us. And um, I did eight Red Skeltons. They were all live. I did two Jack Benny's. And then I did a lot of Playhouse 90s. And um, there was another series called Climax. And then I think there was another one, but I can't remember the name of it. And all those, I mean, it was a challenge because you're, here you are a kid and you can't make a mistake. Now for the adult, it's challenging enough, but for a kid, it's really challenging. And boy, I love doing it. I, it looks like it, it just was right up my alley. It was, it was the thing that I loved the very best. I did the days of the original days of wine and roses with Cliff Robertson and Piper Laurie. And that was, Oh my God, the acting in that it was just, uh, it was terrific. It was a terrific experience and they were both very nice. <laughs> and for those wondering about the leave at the beaver episode, that was brother versus brother. So if you're looking up through the episode, oh, that's the title you. of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not many, not okay. many people, not many people. I'm sure there were a lot of young ladies that, that ran your age that wish they could have been there with Tony Dow and Jerry Matters. You know, I mean, it's just that, that, in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got the. Luckily, I was able to meet both of both of those gentlemen last year at the Mid Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, and they're both were wonderful. You know, to talk with and things like that. Yeah. Well, and people go to those things, you know, that are oldies but goodies, like me. And uh, we're there because we're happy that people remember us. Yeah, it's fun. I'm glad you take the time out to do that because a lot of people don't get a chance to meet the people that they grew up watching or, or, um, or people like myself that are coming back to revisit things that you did because it's in reruns or, or showing again on late night TV and that kind of stuff. And especially now with cable and streaming, a lot of these things that are more readily available than they ever used to be. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Isn't it? I have different people that, our fans that um, I have a website. No, it's an email, whatever it is. I'm old. Never mind. Um, for my book, it's called Working Kid the Book. And I get people 
sending me uh, different things to stream that I've been in, and it's really quite fun. I like it very much. Because yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's it's good for you to go back and <laughs> see the coworkers that you're with and other stuff, and bring and sometimes um, the memories come back, and you're just like, oh, I remember this or that, and then. You know, and the next time you're at a convention or something, you can share that story. It's like, cause it's like, in a, like a fresh thing out there. Right. And people talk to you about different things and it's amazing how you think, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, I remember that. Yeah. Now you were fortunate enough to work with some of the greatest directors in the history I of was. movies. And one yeah. of them, I think everybody that was an actor in that year, on the years there was filmed, the Ten Commandments, you know, Cecil Bill DeMille, Mr. DeMille, you know, yep. you got to work with it. What was, do you have any memories from the Ten Commandments? I do. And um, I have a terrific memory that is, it, it made me very happy. You know, we were supposed to be walking through the desert and, of this. And then they had one huge sound stage that was all sand and looked like you were with the green screen behind and um, there was a, a rocky place where Charlton Heston was to stand and it was for parting of the Red Sea and there were starfish and different things strewn here and there. And um, and then when uh, the sea closed and we had run, they through <laughs> while we were running through the <laughs> the Red Sea as it's closing, the prop men were throwing pieces of chariots at us. <laughs> <laughs> but but we all got lined up on one big one big set in front of the green screen and uh, Charlton Heston was coming, but he was late, of course. And the uh, gag on the, the the movie was that he had to take a step down to play Moses because he thought he was God. <laughs> anyway, he, he was quite the, yeah. Anyway, so we were doing this scene, standing there, and Moses is, you know, calling to God and doing whatever he was doing. And I had a line. I don't remember what it was. And um, and we were all scared because we'd heard Cecil B. DeMille would just, if you screwed up, you were in big trouble. And he'd say something rude to you in front of the whole cast. So we were as kids, we were scared. We didn't want to make a mistake. And so I did my part. And uh, then the scene was over and cut. And he was on one of those crane-like dolly things with the cameraman. And he, he was right next to He was on the other side of the camera wearing his jodhpurs and his uh, beret. And uh, with a megaphone. And so he'd shout different things if he wanted you to do something. And, and so we, we'd all, you know, go and do what we were supposed to do. 
But after this big scene was over, he shouted my name, Mimi Gibson. And I thought, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, good work. And oh, my God, he said that in front of everybody. I was so proud of myself. It was wonderful. That was wonderful. And he was always nice to me, always nice. So there you are. Well, in in the movie industry at that time, that was the voice of God telling you you did great work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, he was. He was it. That's a wonderful story. I mean, because you know, I could see you being like petrified. You hear your name, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're always scared you're going to be yelled at. You know. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, I interviewed Kathy Garver, and she talked about the Ten Commandments and and Mr. Demille, and I think the way she was treated also, I think he must've had it. I think the way he treated child actors was a lot different than he treated the other actors. I think he understood yeah, who, who he's talking to. I, I think you're probably right. Yeah. And I, yeah, Kathy um, and I and Bobby Clark were the few children that were on that. So it was, uh, it was fun. And, it was a, a set like nothing you ever saw. It was, uh, they had taken over the whole studio, all of Paramount. And there were animals in cages and lined up. And, uh, you, uh, and you know, I like animals. And we just, it was like paradise. I mean, I guess for a young child, too, it's like that loves animals. I mean, he got this great thing to explore when you had off time. You know, it's like, oh, look at this and look at yeah. that. At, 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 at your age, that had to be like everything. Yeah. But, you know, the trainers didn't want us around. <laughs> so they were always saying, get away. <laughs> It'll bite you. <laughs> but they say it's only illegal if you're caught. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you go from Mr. Demille to John Ford, Mr. Ford in the Wings of Eagles, uh, and with John Wayne yeah. and Maureen O'Hara. I mean, uh, you talk about like the one-two. Like if you're doing a Mount Rushmore, there's like two of the, the figures for directors on Mount Rushmore right there. And and working on that movie was a wonderful just calm everybody had worked with each other not we two kids but Maureen O'Hara and John Wayne and John Ford had done so many movies together they knew each other so well and it was it was easy there wasn't anything hard about it it was just all okay let's go over here he was a nice man John Wayne was a nice man and Maureen O'Hara was a doll she let us go into her dressing room Evelyn Rudy and I she played my younger sister and she let us play in her makeup and nobody ever let you come and play in their makeup for crying out loud and she was just just fun and darling I think Maureen O'Hara was one of those one in a lifetime 
actresses or you, know, you ever get, you know, because her personality and her and her performances, it's just she's wonderful. Just gorgeous woman, gorgeous and sweet. What more could you ask for, really? I, I can't think of anything else. I mean, you know, when you're growing up and you're te- like, you always had a crush on her, you know, it's just like you watch her in different films, you know, you just can't help it. Yeah. yeah I, you know, just, just lovely. Yeah. I especially like the quiet man. That's one of my favorite movies. It, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. It was one of my dad's favorite movies also. And, um, it's, it, it's, it's, you know the stuff that they do in that movie is just great and you know it's john ford's like love letter you know type of movie the movie always wanted to do and and and, uh the the cast um i'm trying i'm trying to remember the guy that john wayne fights with um victor Victor mclaughlin yeah yeah victor mclaughlin you know the the two the chemistry all the all three of them have is just priceless i mean you it's 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 you don't make films like that too much anymore. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, they want everything big, big, big. But sometimes a small, small, small movie that's got a wonderful story. Every, and everything should be about the story. Excuse me. All these blow-up movies lately. It the. You know, there are wonderful stories out there, just wonderful ones. And you don't get to hear them because, you know, what's popular nowadays, which is a shame. <laughs> I'm sounding my old old age. No, no it's just, yeah. it's true. I agree with you. It's just um, a lot of things are all eye candy. But there, there was movies back then that were eye candy, <laughs> you know, didn't really have much to do with um, – the story and, and that kind oh, of things, but it's absolutely. worse nowadays. There are silly movies from there that you go, Oh my God. And with COVID, I've watched a lot of movies <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are like, Oh, for heaven's sake, uh, you know, just silly. Although the silly movie that I love the best is my man, Godfrey. That's my silly movie happiness. I can see that. So, I can see that. I, I like yeah. that movie. You know, it's um, one, one. I don't know if it's a silly movie, but one of the movies my children I always watch is Arsenic and Old Lace with Cary Grant. I think it's overacted. It is overacted, but it's still fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I uh, the play. I've seen the play. I like the play, but I thought they had him just. You know, he was like <laughs> flipping out all the time. <laughs> and I understand why you would flip out, but still, it just seems like a bit much to me. I've become very critical since COVID. I, I've watched all these things, so now I'm a movie critic. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, you go out to your front, get off my lawn, you know, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but- no, I can't do that. I have dogs. I walk my dogs in the neighborhood. I, I can't say get off my lawn because my dogs are on everybody's lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can think it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but speaking of silly movies that are fun, you are in one. The monster that challenged the world. Isn't it? Yes. As a matter of fact, we're having a film 
festival in Phoenix right before the Tuesday before. Well, it's not in Phoenix. I think it's in Chandler. But anyway, um, the uh, Tuesday before Halloween, we're doing Monster That Challenged the World. And I'm going to it. I have a cousin, my cousin Marlene, and her husband Paul live in Phoenix. And Flip Mark, who was a kid actor with me, he was in West Westward, Guestward, Guestward Ho, it was an old TV series. And he was also in Please Don't Eat the Daisies. And we were friends when we were kids and then lost touch with each other. And um, now we found each other again. And uh, he and his wife are adorable. And I'm so glad to see him. So we're all going to still flip. And I'm my Marlene and Paul. We're all going to go to the Mimi Gibson film festival <laughs> of Monster that Challenge the World. <laughs> and there are a lot of secrets about Monster that Challenge the World. But you have to buy my book in order to get those secrets. Ooh, ooh, the tease. Ooh. <laughs> but is, is there anything that, that, that's not in the book that you can share with us about the monster challenge the world? Well, that it was filmed at the Salton Sea, and the hilarious thing was they superimposed ocean waves <laughs> into that because the Salton Sea doesn't have any waves. And um, when we got there, oh, my God, it smelled so bad. And it had a bug problem, little black gnats. And, and we were there about a week. And, man, that was miserable because, you know, we had the smell of the thing and the gnat problem. And it wasn't fun. That, that, that sounds like it's not – I mean, I, I... – I've go camping a lot, so I know when you get when you get the bugs, and it's just like ah, oh, you know. Sometimes you can really make a camping trip if you get if if it's really mosquitoy or that kind of stuff. It can really make it kind of miserable. Oh yeah, there used to be uh, a ranch that we'd go to out. Porter, I guess it was Porter Ranch, and they had a yellow jacket problem. I can't remember which movies. I think they were westerns usually that we were doing out there. And the yellow jackets, I mean, they, they couldn't kill enough of them. They were just horrible. You'd start eating your lunch, and they were in your lunch. It was, boy, the insect problems, yikes. <laughs> but the insect problem was minor compared to the giant Moloch's monster problem that was going on. <laughs> oh, well, that was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was the most, I think it's the most hilarious monster. And especially since I know how it was operated, and I say so in my book. And um, and the whole thing that the crew, they were really nice to me. And they let me follow them around and look at what they were doing and told me some secrets about this or that. And it, so it was nice. You know, I was the only kid in most of it, Charlie Herbert, who played my brother, one of my brothers in Houseboat, Paul Peterson was our older brother. He was in the movie for a little bit. And um, 
probably finding a dead body or something. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, that, that movie, and it still has a fan base. I can't believe it. And, um, it's, uh, it's fun. And people come, and I had some guys that came all the way from New Jersey to have me sign their poster from the monster that challenged the world. I mean, this is amazing. One of the movies that, there's two movies of yours that I never saw at all, that I watched in order to do this interview. And uh, that first one is Courage of Black Beauty. Oh, yeah. Well... Uh, it was, it was fun. I got to have my own horse and she was a darling and, you know, every kid wants a horse and I'd been taking riding lessons. So I was comfortable on the horse and we were doing a scene and all of a sudden she started bucking. And the assistant director comes out and he's waving his arms. Like that's going to help. I don't think so. And uh, but I held on, and nothing happened. And my God, these people—I thought they were all going to have heart attacks. And she just stopped fucking, and we don't know whatever happened or what was going on with her. But I was fine. She was fine, and you know, no big thing. <laughs> all these adults were like. <laughs> heart attacks on this side, but it was fine. So that was kind of fun. And, um, you know, I liked working with Johnny and it was, and we had the German shepherd, Mike, and he was a good dog and it was just nice. And they put us in a motel on Sepulveda Boulevard before it was really, you know, built up out there. And uh, it was like a ranch motel (laughs) because we were ranchers, I guess. And that was kind of fun staying in a motel to do this because it wasn't that far from our house. We lived in the valley, but what the heck. Um, But that was fun. And I liked doing it and glad I did it. It was fun. Yeah. So it sounds like you and Johnny Crawford, had it got along really well during the shooting. Yeah, we were just fine. I mean, look, I was younger. I was a little girl. I don't think he really knew what to do with me, but we were okay with each other. Uh, you know, the boys, during when you're like seven, eight, nine, if you're a little older than the girls, it's like, eh. And so... <laughs> So we we were never close, but we were fine with each other. Yeah. Now I have to ask this: being a Gilligan's Island fan, do you have any oh. memories of working with Russell Johnson since he was in that movie too? I I do. He was he was nice. You know, most everybody either ignores you or is nice to you. It's rare that somebody's mean to you. So. Um, you know, you just remember somebody being nice and, and not, if somebody pays you more attention than usual, 
you remember that a whole lot. And um, Red Skelton liked me, and um, and Jeff Chandler. Oh my gosh, I did a movie with him called Durango, and he liked me. He thought I was a sweet little girl, and I thought he was a hunk. Boy, I was <laughs> a young kid, and I was oh my gosh, fan me off. I you know I just followed him around like a puppy dog. And he didn't mind, and I have a photo of him taking a, a photo of me sitting in his chair, and and there's a, oh, there's a poster that they say is Joanne Drew and him, and it's kind of steamy, but it's not Joanne Drew. It's me. It's me looking down on him and him looking up at me. And I think, oh, I should get that poster. It's just, and, you know, he died way too young. He was, and he was so nice. And he was so kind to this little puppy dog girl. And he was just a lovely man. And I'm so sorry that he died young. You know, that's just a tragedy. So. Now, speaking of people that are nice, you had, a, I think, a great experience on the movie Houseboat with a lot of people on, on that set, including Sophia Loren and Cary Grant, but Paul Peterson. I mean, you, you were, and, and Charles Herbert, you, I mean, you had pretty much a lot of people I think you had a good time or at least got along with or treated you nicely. Yes, everybody was nice. And the producer, Jack Rose, and Mel Shavelson, who was the director, uh, they were I had worked with them on uh, I'll See You in My Dreams when I was really little about Gus Kahn. It's a movie about Gus Kahn. He was a songwriter. And it, that was with Doris Day and Danny Thomas. And Doris Day was just darling. She was the sweetest thing. And I was little, but I remember her. And, um, and so we did Houseboat. And um, the the thing about Houseboat was Sophia was young and funny. And she was one of the most beautiful and charming and generous women I have ever known. Uh, she gave all of us kids, um, gold medallion with the houseboat on the front and to Mimi from Sophia on the back. And I wear it as a necklace even now. I love it so much. Nobody gave me anything that nice. And it was solid gold and it's just, it's just wonderful. Um, and she uh, had her first birthday party on that that she'd never had a birthday party in her whole life. Can you imagine? I just, I, I was a kid and I was just stunned that this was her first birthday party. Oh my God, makes me cry even now. Anyway, she was funny. She was fun. And I have a fun story in my book about that that I'm not telling you. (laughs) 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 I'm going to tell Beverly, Mimi is such a tease. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> but no, but but what was it like with um Cary Grant? Or is that in, is that the story? <laughs> Cary Grant, no, Cary Grant was he was um he was a very nice, of course, a, a nice man, a good-looking man. Um, but you know, he had um, oh, what do you, what is it called when you, you your skin turns yellow? Jaundice. Jaundice. He had jaundice because he had been sick with something, and so he was very, very tan. And so we all had to have makeup on that was dark to match him, which was wacky. We all just couldn't believe it. And it looked normal on the screen, but it was dark. It was really dark. And so I thought that was unusual. And um, and he liked giving us little lectures. <laughs> we do a scene with him, and he'd say, "Now you," he'd say to me, "Now you mustn't feed your husband any fattening foods." <laughs> oh, oh, sure, okay. <laughs> don't let him get fat. And don't get fat. Which I got fat, <laughs> so <laughs> I've lost the weight, but I <laughs> still. Uh, sometimes you just do what you do, and uh, so he he would say little pearls of wisdom <laughs> to us. I guess he thought we needed that, but uh, but he was he was fine. But he was uh, he would do his part and then go to his dressing room, and so um, so that that was that. Well, and Harry Gardiner was really nice. Oh, really? Yeah. He played, I forget the character's name, but he he's the one who's supposed to bring the houseboat that gets on the railroad track. And he was really nice, really a friendly, nice guy. So it was a happy, it was a happy set. And we all got along with kids. Oh, and we had a chauffeur-driven limousine that picked us up at the hotel in Washington, D.C., while we were there for a month and um his name was sugar and he was just a wonderful guy and he would take us and show us everything you would ever want to see in washington dc and took paul and me and our moms to this i can't remember the the amusement park's name, but it had one of the tallest roller coasters in the world. And so Paul was on one side of me, Sugar was on the other side of me. And mom said, when I got off, I was green. (laughs) 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 And so, but he took us to do everything, saw all the monuments, saw, you know, everything you could want, White House, you name it, we saw it. It was a wonderful experience. We were very, very lucky. It, it sounds it sounds like it was a great time, and I, I live I live in Maryland, so of course I know D.C. rather well. So it's I, but it's still oh good. 
still yes. to have to have that time where you have somebody driving you around and pointing out the sites, taking you to the different uh, monuments, like you said, that's that, that's priceless because basically you're you, you know you're being paid and you're having a fun time at the same time. Yep, yep, and we were treated very nicely, you know, and uh, it was summer and it was hot and we were in a air conditioned limousine and. Charlie actually got sunstroke uh, during one of our scenes, and they uh, had to put him inside our limo to get cooled off. So that was that was scary. We couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. <laughs> uh, well, luckily they did and took care and cooled him down quickly. Yeah, and they did. That was that was weird. So that was a good movie to be on. We were all real happy to be on it. Yep. And now we're going from the houseboat to a different kind of movie with involving different kind of ships. I'm not sure your memories of the Buccaneer, you know, at all. Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. Uh, that was a fun movie. And the fun, underlying fun, was because Anthony Quinn was the director. Anthony Quinn was bigger than life. I hear he had, you know, he's married, been married, girlfriends, and married. I don't know. But he was like one of these people that just loved life. He just, everything about him was big and great. And, and so, um, he, we would do scenes with, and I was acting with uh, another kid named Jerry Hartleben. And Jerry was supposed to be the cabin boy, and I was the bratty little girl, which is always fun to be. And uh, Anthony, we would do a scene, and Anthony would grab Jerry and kiss him on the cheek. And Jerry would turn red. <laughs> he used to be grabbed, you know, but Anthony was very European. <laughs> and then he grabbed me and kissed me, and I liked it. And <laughs> so, so that was, um, that was funny. That was, I think, the third movie I made with Yul Brenner. And I have to say that. During that time, I I was probably maybe nine or ten, but I I knew that how bad smoking was, and Yule Brenner smoked cigarettes, he smoked a pipe, and he smoked cigars, and I looked at him and I thought he's going to get lung cancer, and sure enough, I mean he just smoked everything. It was amazing and. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what happened, and uh, and that was a great set to be on. Yeah, because I was going to say, Yul Brenner was one of those who physically, you know, if you take away smoke, it was always in such impeccable shape, you know, for, for, yeah. for everything. He had that physicality, where, you know, it's in, and I just remember when he did that commercial before he passed away about smoking, and you saw him, and it was just, it was just heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking, and I thought it was good, and I wish they still had it on because it 
every time I saw it, tears would spring into my eyes. And I thought, you know, I never smoked. I didn't find it interesting or good or any, I found it disgusting. So um, it wasn't for me, but I thought, you know, he, he, it was a great commercial. Yeah. Thought it was important. Oh, exactly. And um, one of the TV shows I have to ask you about, I hope you have some memories with, just because I love this actor so much, when you were on the Barbara Stanwyck show. Oh, God. Well, it was the Barbara Stanwyck show, but she was not in our episode, I don't believe. And I'll tell you why I don't know. It's because whoever played my mother came in second to Charles Boyer. Charles Boyer liked me. I loved him. Charles Boyer was so kind and so sweet. And he liked me and I loved him. And he gave me a doll that was Little Red Riding Hood. And then you put her skirts over her head and she turned into the big bad wolf. And I gave it to my kids to play with. I loved it so much. It lasted all through my childhood. And he was just, I think he and his wife had never had children. And he was just the sweetest man. So it was all, and he was in that, that show, he's going to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) I liked the ones where I was going to be killed. I always thought of when I was dying or dead. That always seemed kind of fun. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Charles Boyer was coming there to kill me. And I still loved him anyway. So I don't remember anything else. All I remember is Charles Boyer. But still, that's a great story. And I guess I guess you can say you were lucky to live, you know, in quotes, air quotes, so to speak, through the thing. And then, of course, you played lucky in 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. How did you get that role? So that, Do you remember? I mean, how did that go? How, we had the interview for it. You know, they had to listen to our voices, and then uh, we had to do a British accent, and they just picked out who they liked the best out of all of us. And um, there were five of us, and one kid didn't get used, and um, so it was Mickey Magda and Barbara Baird and me, and then another little girl, I don't remember her name. She was a lot smaller and younger than we were. And uh, I was lucky, and I didn't know it. I didn't pay any attention to I knew the lines I said, but I didn't pay any attention to what dog I was. And um, Howard Green from Disney called me up and said, would you like to come and do a, a thing for Disney? And I said, sure. And then I found out I was lucky. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like, oh, okay. And now I'm happy. And I feel very lucky. (laughs) (laughs) And don't ask me if I met Walt Disney. I didn't. 
seem to care one thing about us. <laughs> I wasn't on to ask, but but we know the answer now. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but one thing, when you recorded your voice, were you working, were you guys recording together or were you all separate? They took us one at a time to do all the dialogue. And so we did, they had storyboards at, down, and I don't know why, but I guess to kind of give us the puppy feeling. And um, then they put us in the booth, and we did all of the lines, and they just picked out who they wanted to be who, and um you know, uh, picked out the lines that they liked. So that's what they did. And we did it for everything. I mean, we, we do, they do some, some animation and then we'd come back in and we'd each be called out by ourselves one at a time and do all the lines. And then they'd call us again after they'd done the animation. And so that, that happens, I don't know, maybe four or five times. And that's interesting because the reason I bring it up is sometimes voice actors are they're done together. Sometimes they're nowadays they're pretty much almost always done separately. And um, but yeah. I wasn't sure because being that it was child actors, I was thinking they probably would do you guys more likely to do it separate. That way, to have more, I guess, control, so to speak. You know, in case one gets the. Giggles. I would think, yeah, in, in case anything, you know, kids, kids are kids. So I think that was the wise. <laughs> well it obviously worked because it's a classic you know it, you know it is it's and it's a great movie i love it i love that movie it's just uh, and i have all sorts of 101 Dalmatians stupid stuff <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i have a 101 dalmatian bag a 101 dalmatian purse you know, really mature things to have when I'm in my 70s. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always be, the you know, thing is you can always say you were in the movie. So, I mean, it's a little bit different when, you know, you're carrying that stuff with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, of course, 101 Dalmatians has one of the best Disney villains ever in Cruella DeVille. I mean, it's just. That's Best. And I never got to meet, you know, we never got to see any of the adults. We never got to, I would have loved to have seen her. She had a great voice. Wasn't she terrific? And they drew her so fabulous. She was just terrible. She was wonderful and terrible. Yeah. She was, a, she played, she did the part perfectly. I mean, that's all you can say. It was just spot on. <laughs> yeah. I think so too. Now, I said there was two movies of yours that I never saw until recently, and the other one is The Children's Hour. And um, where you, you know, where you starred with um, Audrey Hepburn, Shirley MacLaine, James Gardner, you know, those are the, you know, like the main adults. There's a couple others, Mer Miriam Hopkins, Faye Banter. But then on your side, the child side, Veronica Cartwright, you know, Karen Balkin, who, or Balkin, who played the villain, so to speak, you know, um, the one everybody loves to hate. Yep, yep. <laughs> what was it like being in that, doing that movie? 
it was a bunch of us girls just being girls. You know, we were there to work. It was a long shoot. And William Wyler was quite old at the time. And um, it was uh, the, it not only, it was, it was fine. You know, uh, Sherman Klein didn't talk to us uh, at all. I don't remember her ever addressing me. (laughs) (laughs) And Audrey Hepburn was a princess. She talked to all of us. She was kind to all of us. She uh, was, she would be driven in a chauffeur driven limousine to work and then picked up with the chauffeur and she waved to us and we waved back at her. She was just the sweetest, most wonderful person. And um, I don't think Miriam Hopkins ever talked to us. <laughs> Anyway, um, the shoot was good. William Wyler was fine. You know, he didn't get upset about anything, and we all did our parts. And uh, but the amazing thing about the shoot was uh, it was shot at Samuel Goldwyn Studios, and on one side was Elvis in "Follow That Dream." And the other side was the Rat Pack in um, Sergeant 3. And the Rat Pack, oh, in case all of you young people don't know who they are, (laughs) it's Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Joey Bishop, uh, Peter Lawford, and Sammy Davis Jr. And um, they loved wearing their cavalry costumes. And they would run around the whole, there was like this whole long building with the three sound stages on it. And they would run around the whole building and play Bang Bang You're Dead and Fall Dead in the street. (laughs) 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 And it was hilarious. And then Dean Martin had this sign put above Frank Sinatra's dressing room that said cafe for ladies. And, you know, it had a, an arrow pointed down to his front door and they had put their dressing rooms next to us. The, these gawky 12 year old or 13 year old little girls who looked like nothing they would be interested in. And the moms were all having a fit. Oh, no, you can't put them next to our girls. And it's like, oh, please. I mean, even we girls thought, oh, yeah, right. (laughs) We knew. (laughs) And the moms just made a big stink about it. but But Frank got to be where he was. And too bad for us. Like, they cared. So that... That was really funny. And then Elvis would drive in every day with, he he didn't drive. He sat in the shotgun seat, but he had two white convertible Cadillacs. He was in the front one. Then his pals, I think he was out of the army then, but he always had guys with him. I never 
saw anybody that had an entourage before. That wasn't something people did. And he came with like these six guys. And so two Cadillacs full of guys and his set was open. You could just walk on to his set, which was also unheard of. And so a lot of the little girls ran over to the set, but I thought I was too intelligent. I didn't want to go over there. And they said, he's so handsome. You've got to go over and see him. And I saw him and he, I think, was the most handsome man I've ever seen. His skin was beautiful. His eyes were just clear blue and shock of hair, dark hair. He was, wow. But um, he was a country boy and said things like ain't, spit on the floor, and that did it for me. <laughs> I left. <laughs> no, no actor I ever knew spit on the floor in front of me. So uh, I did not go back, but the other girls didn't mind at all. And I was reading Gone, at, Gone with the Wind at the time. It was my summer book to read, and I was being intellectual. So there we are. So they got to talk to Elvis, and I only got to talk to him once. So boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, I, I read that Audrey Hepburn always brought her dog with her. I didn't know if you guys had a chance to to see her dog or not? No, nope. never saw a dog. So don't know. This might have been later in, you know, some of the later things. But I, I don't know. Never saw a dog. Never. Yeah, I went at this party up. But yeah, it was like sometimes the dog was on that set and it got loose and everybody had to go find the dog. You know, like the, the, the not you guys, but the stupid. Really? They said that about our set? Yeah, yeah. It was in um, um, the trivia thing for the movie. But it, really? but it could have been the parts of the films where you guys weren't in it, you know, because it's, it's, it's it, it could have been. But I swear, I never saw a dog. Never. Yeah. Well, she usually but probably it, took it to her, her room. Yeah. And her dressing rooms, their dressing rooms were way far away from our dressing rooms. And so, you know, I, um, I don't know. She might have had, you know, because when she got out of the limousine, we never saw her get out of it. Uh, she didn't get out anywhere near us. I was just so, curious. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Now, the other thing is, do you have any they memories? Made it, they made it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I always ask somebody that's there, because, you, you know, you can't always believe what you read, you know, somebody else putting on the yeah. thing, and, and unless unless they were there. Yeah. You know, and, and even then, you never know. It could be somebody that's like, oh, yeah, I got a story, and they take it to, as as happens in this movie, where somebody takes a story and, and alters it tremendously, which is what the whole movie is exactly. about. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Do you have any memories of James Garner? Did he? Because did, I know he, well, he wasn't in there a lot of the movie. But he oh, he was great. Oh, hiya, girls, you know, and talk to us. So he was great. He was, and I worked with him on something else, and I don't remember what that was. But I always thought he was just handsome and nice and, yeah. I was into the handsome. I, I always, I, even 
since I was young, I was always into handsome men. But I like beautiful women also. You know, you appreciate beauty. You know, you work with it. And when you're a kid working in the business, you, you get to work with the most beautiful people in the world. And it's quite lovely. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. And, uh, and, and speaking of working with some interesting people, you did several episodes of My Three Sons. Oh, yeah. Nice <laughs> boys. It was all boys there. It was like Leave it to Beaver. You know, everything was boys. So, uh, yeah, they were all nice kids. Great. I don't know if you had any memories. Like, I'm going to be interviewing Stanley Livingston soon. And I didn't know if you had any memories of of Stanley or Barry or whatever. No, I, I just know all the boys were nice. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's better. It's better to have a good memory than a bad memory. Like it's like, I remember them being mean. Now they're all nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, there were some people, some kids, some kids were mean kids like Bobby Diamond. He's a mean kid, and uh, I did a did an Ed Bray show with him, and he was supposed to play my older stepbrother, and he for some reason hated me, and he would pretend like he was spitting on me, and that was just bad, and he's yeah well he's gone on to his great reward <laughs> now so so there we are. And I know a lot of people always say, because you had so many movies, so many credits, and we're not covering all of them. I think we covered a lot. And, and yeah, people, you'll make people go to sleep. No, no, no. Nobody's going to go to sleep with you. They might go to sleep if it was me talking, but not, not with you. But the thing is, you were back at a time when things were done differently with how child actors were paid. And, and now you and um, Paul Peterson pushed – for things to change. I don't, I won't, I won't, if you could talk about a minor consideration, you know, how that all happened and came about, because that's something huge. I'm happy to talk about a minor consideration, and Paul Peterson deserves all the credit. He started it when, oh gosh, who committed suicide? I, it was, I think it was Rusty Hamer, but I could be wrong. Anyway, you know, he'd been on the Dan- Danny Thomas show. Was it? I think that was, oh, I'm getting senile again. But anyway, so there were, there was a, a period where, and I had left the business then. I was, I, I had been a realtor and I, I had moved to Los Gatos and I wasn't in the business anymore. You know, they, They didn't want us, uh, almost any of us, um, when we were like in our late teens. They uh, wanted new faces, and it was very hurtful. (laughs) And, uh, but I never wanted to be an actress. I mean, it was not anything that I would have thought of, of doing if somebody had said, what do you think of doing? That would not have been it. So, um, but I like doing a job well. So I, I liked 
that aspect of it. And you had to memorize your lines and you had to be kind of smart and those were good things. So anyway, I had left the business and Paul formed a minor consideration and I didn't even know about it because I I just, you know, was living my life on the farm. <laughs> and so uh, I turned on television and I was and I never watched TV during the day. And it was some interview show and they were talking to Paul about a minor that he had formed a minor consideration and how he was trying to help child actors. And I was so proud of him. I just thought, oh my gosh, this is just so wonderful. So I got his phone number and called him. And he said, where have you been? And I said, living my life. <laughs> and he said, well, we're all going back into Screen Actors Union and or Guild. Sorry, why did I call it Union? Never mind. Anyway, uh, to change the laws in the state of California. Now, the reason we needed to change the laws in the state of California is because most contracts are California contracts because all the big movie and, and TV companies are here. And so um, it's all... The, the wording is, is all California. And so he said, do you want to, and I'm living in Los Gatos, which is like six hours away. And he said, do you want to come and join us? Well, none of my money was saved. I supported my, my family. And then when my sister got married, I supported my mom. And she just thought that that was great. And never attempted to get a job or anything. Said her job was to drive me to interviews and to drive me to work. So that was kind of weird. And uh, so when I grew up, uh, I didn't have any money saved for me. Which, let me tell you, makes for one unhappy teenager. And so... Um, so I said to Paul, I'm with you. I'll, I'll be there. I, you know, I'll do it. And so uh, Jeannie Russell, who was Margaret on Janice Jimenez, she, she, Paul had gotten her involved, and she was our chair on the Young Performers Committee. Johnny Whitaker, he was there as the secretary. And, um, and uh, uh, Tommy Reddick was going to join, but he died. And that was just shocking and horrible because he had a heart attack, I believe. Anyway, um, so we all got together with, there was one manager in the Young Performers Committee, manage, child manager. There were a bunch of parents of working kids, a bunch of parents of kids that had grown up and weren't working anymore. and. We started talking to them, talking to the union about getting things changed for kids so that their money would be saved. The old law was the Coogan law, and that law didn't apply because it stated that it was money saved for contract players. 
because all the players when the Coogan Law was made were contracts. But when TV came about and everything else, nobody was under contract anymore. And um, if you did a series, you were under contract, but that was it. And so uh, we started working. Well, nobody was happy with us. Nobody liked us. <laughs> Everybody said, why should we care? Uh, you know, kids are brass. Uh, these were big stars that said these things to us. And it's like, don't you know that these are kids? These are kids. And uh, it took us eight years. And we all hung in there and worked to get these laws changed. And we did. We got two laws changed. And I got to speak to the California State Legislature, which I'm very proud of. And I'm most proud. You can talk about the business I was in in my career. But I'm most proud of this work that we did for kids coming up. And I'll tell you a story. I um, started doing uh, an audio book of my book. Uh, and I went to some place on the internet <laughs> and found uh, a couple guys that sounded like they could record me and it would be okay. But one sounded better to me than the other. And so I hired him. And we started recording my book. And he didn't know what my book was about. He didn't know what I was doing. And he told me that he had been a kid actor. And he, I, I had taken him to lunch. He got out of the car and he said, I want to thank you for what you did. Because the money that was saved for me I got, and I could make this recording studio. And I swear, I burst into tears. I said, you're the person we were working for. And that just made me so happy. So we changed that law. It's 15% day one, dollar one. It's in a locked account. You can only get to it if you're ill. And I think maybe if you need money for college, but I'm not positive about that. And the other law that was changed was that I couldn't figure out why the schools were so mean to me. And um, I didn't realize that if your butt's not in the seat, they don't get any money. And, and so they, so it's like you're just a pain in the neck to them. So we changed that law and we piggybacked it on a Becerra law, which I think is just hilarious. And it was when the, they used to go picking and the whole family had to pick. And so the, they were compensated for the kids being gone to work for the family. So we piggybacked it on that. And uh, Sheila Sewell, who uh, is now a city councilwoman, I think, think she's had every job you can imagine in los angeles she was a kid actor and her name was sheila james and she was uh, zelda on Dilby gillis she has she has worked in city government state government she's done it she became an attorney 
and she carried our bill and well, carried our bills. And thank you, Sheila. She just did. That was wonderful. And so that's what we did. And I hung in there and drove to L.A. almost every month <laughs> and stayed at my friend Judy's house with her husband, Emil. And um, we, uh, we got it finally done. Finally. It was, but it took us a long time. And then after 10 years, I said to somebody, how long have we been doing this? And somebody said, 10 years. And I went, what? <laughs> and I said, oh, I think I'm tired. <laughs> and a bunch of us just laughed. We had it. We just said, had it. So we lasted for 10 years. But I mean, really, 10 years, we didn't get paid for it. We didn't get, all we got was a bunch of badness <laughs> from a lot of people. And, uh, you know, we just did it because we were the kids who didn't get that benefit and we knew it needed to be changed and we wanted to do it for the kids coming up and as my friend Liz says she was a member of our committee Liz Graham she's an actress and a writer um she uh says and Mimi you did it for love and that's the truth yeah I was gonna say you already brought up a story about the one man that started the recording studio who was a child actor. And that was your, you, you said you didn't get a reward or didn't get any paid. I think the people like that, that was one that you met and who knows how many thousands of other people you didn't meet that, that benefited. I, I agree. I agree. I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm happy. We did that. I really am. Now, <laughs> Listeners, it was Paul's idea to push and guided us. We pushed him and gave him a band. We did it, and and Paul, but Paul started it, and uh, so yay for Paul and good job. I guess I guess putting it back to the Ten Commandments, Paul was Moses, and you guys were with him. And you and you guys got to the promised land. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> Never thought about it that way. Okay. <laughs> Tying things together, but it's a uh, one thing I want listeners to know. Um, Mimi asked me for one thing. She said, "When we do this interview, she said, Steve, we I want to talk about one thing that happened to you recently." And we and you are lucky, literally, because you are still with us. And because um, you recently had a heart attack, and you wanted to talk about um, what happened with you, so so people you know that are listening to this will pay attention and maybe realize what happened to you, so that so that you can have the same positive outcome you did, or hopefully notice it sooner. Yes, thank you. Okay, so I was walking my dogs one night, and let me tell you. I did not have high blood pressure. I was not on medication. Uh, I was on a half a pill for, um, I had a little AFib thing going on. And the doctor just, even though it never showed up again, I took stress tests, it never showed up. Um, the doctor said, oh, just 
you know, the cardiologist said, just stay on the half a pill. It was a big deal. And so I just stayed on the half a pill for that. But uh, I and I took aspirin, but I didn't have high cholesterol. And um, I was walking my dog. And all of a sudden, I felt bloated. And I thought, oh, what did I eat? What did I do? And so I walked my dog home. And uh, this was late at night. I walked my dog for a final walk about 8 o'clock. And uh, so uh, all of a sudden, stomach cramping happened. And I thought, oh, God, I've got food poisoning. Okay. Well, and then diarrhea started. And I thought, well, my body's getting rid of it. And uh, this went on for, unfortunately, I'm ashamed to say, six hours. And finally, I'd had it. Now, I live with my best friend, Judy. She sleeps downstairs. I sleep upstairs. And so I didn't want to disturb her. And so I called 911, and they said, and, and I always say, I'm having a heart attack, even though half the time I don't believe I'm having one. I, I had that relationship scare, and and uh, they said say you're having a heart attack because they get there faster. So I said I'm having a heart attack, I think, but I really thought I was having bad food poisoning. And they got here, and there were like five hunky firemen in the living room, and Judy comes out and goes, "What's going on?" I said, well, they just told me I'm having a heart attack. And she goes, what? And I said, yeah. I said, I didn't have any pain in my chest. I didn't have any pain in my jaw. I didn't have any pain going down my left arm. I had no elephant on my chest. I had nothing. It was all abdominal. Well, come to find out, that heart attack is called the silent killer or the widow maker. And it mostly happens to women, although my neighbor across the street, it happened to him. And um, so the fireman got me in the ambulance and lectured me all the way to the hospital, telling me that I should have waited two hours only, not six hours. Am I crazy? What was I thinking? And so I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, but I'm in pain. So they get me in there. They get me uh, something to um, relax me and get rid of the pain. And I was out. Well, come to find out, I died twice on the table. They uh, revived me both times with the paddle. And... um, so the the surgeon who operated on me and put he had to put three stints in, and uh, he said if I had waited a half hour longer I would be dead. And so I want especially women to know that if you're feeling as I did, even if you think it's only food poisoning, just go anyway. Because you never know. And I never had an inkling of, and I thought there was no heart problems really in my family. And then I come to find out, I talked to a second cousin on my dad's side. 
My dad died early. He was 42. And he was born with an enlarged heart, but I thought that was just a freak thing. Well, heart trouble runs in my dad's side of the family like crazy. And I had no idea. So um, genetics is important also. So now I've had a heart attack, and uh, but I'm here. And as you can tell, it was six weeks ago. I'm doing fine. They're still needing to adjust my meds a little bit, but uh, I'm here and happy. So there we are. <laughs> and I'm so glad you are here. And for listeners that have listened to the podcast early on, also know I'm a CPR first aid instructor for the Red Cross and have been since 1990. So, um, so when Mimi and I were talking about this prior to the interview, we talked to each other for an hour. And um, one of the things I wanted to dovetail is, Chest pain is the number one symptom. Now, when they say number one, that means it happens more frequently than the rest of the symptoms. Doesn't mean it's an overwhelming majority of people get chest pain. It's just the symptom that occurs the most. So a lot of people get hung up with symptoms when they hear that. Also, you know, you talked about symptoms being different for men and women. When I teach CPR classes, I always like, when I talk about heart attacks, I always try to remind people, yes, symptoms are different typically for women than they are for men. But as you said earlier, a man can have the symptoms that are more frequently found than a woman as a woman can have symptoms more frequently found than a man. So really, I look at it as they're the symptoms for everybody. And the key thing is pay attention to your body and know what's going on. The problem is a lot of people also go into denial. Oh, it's got to be fill in the blank this. So people that are friends, family, coworkers, if your coworker is telling you they're okay and you think they really look sick, you don't need their permission to call 911. Call 911. They can refuse the ambulance when it shows up, but call. Because a lot of times when the paramedics get there, they can see what's happening and take that action. Also, the ambulances don't always show up within two minutes or five minutes. It depends where you live. It could be five minutes. It could be a half hour. I live in the country, so a 20-minute, half-hour thing is a quick response. And you also don't know if they're busy that day. You can't get back the time that's lost, which is what the surgeon was talking about and the one paramedic with Mimi. It's the time lost is time gone. So if you think a heart attack's going on or a stroke's going on or any of that stuff, take action, go through, call 911. I also highly recommend take a CPR class, so if somebody does go down, you can do basic resuscitation to them to keep the oxygenated blood circulating and keep the victim viable. CPR is not going to restart the heart. It's just there to keep the victim viable until the paramedics get there with the AED or the defibrillator, and they can defibrillate and hopefully shock the person back to a normal rhythm. And I think that's really, really good information. And thank you, Steve. It's, it's great. Um, you know, it's, it's important, as you say, to pay attention to your body <laughs> and denial, you know, and I'm stubborn. I'm a stubborn person, which works sometimes and doesn't work others. So, yeah. But I think it worked this case because, you know, some, some people, they say, are too stubborn to die. So you, you, want, you want to have that part working with you. 
I, I one of those people you can't kill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the, the Monster Challenge, the world found that out also. We can't kill the little girl. Jeez. <laughs> and she looks so tasty. <laughs> <laughs> but you've also, as you mentioned earlier, you've written the book, Working Girl. Where can people get the book? Oh, they can get it on Amazon. It's fifteen to fourteen ninety nine. Um, and you can also get it uh over, you know, like Chirp or something like that. Well, Amazon Kindle, I don't know what I'm old. Here we go again. Uh and it's four ninety nine with that. And it's a memoir, and it just talks about um, my career, and it talks about the work we did uh, at Screen Actors Guild that I'm so very proud of. So it's, and it's got my opinions on things, which <laughs> half of you probably won't want. <laughs> well, you're doing a really good job of selling the book here, Mimi. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> oh, that. It's a good book. Read it. No, well, it's not Shakespeare. But anyway, it gives you a perspective. I, cause I talk a lot about and what it's like to be a kid and get costumes and all of the costumes you get to pick and that are made for you. And it, it's, it's got just some interesting stuff and that really people don't usually talk about. So that's what it's got. And it's not long. <laughs> and you said you're working on the audio format of the book too, right? Yes, I am. But I took a break to get over my heart attack. <laughs> Understandable, totally. And uh, the reason I bring it up, I know some of our listeners are are visually impaired. And um, this way, you know, like when they tell them, oh, you can get a book, they'll sometimes message me, did you have an audio version? And I'm like, no. But at least we know yours is coming. You know, it might, it might be a year from now, but it's coming. I'm, I'm, no, I'll, I'll have it probably by fall. I just need, I told myself I was taking the summer off. Beverly and I, at the end of August, are doing a couple of uh, bookstores to um, sell our books and, and sign autographs and stuff. And uh, we're doing um, some things some other things too but um i i just took the summer off that's it i'm not doing anything except talking to you and uh that's that's what i'm doing i want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about these different things i mean it, it's i've learned a lot about a minor consideration because it's one of the things to read about it but it's another thing to talk to somebody who really is passionate about it and to really get because you, 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 you can't read the emotion when you're reading an article or whatever, but now you can feel the emotion that came that comes from you about this whole thing that, you, you know, all the laws yeah. that you changed. I, 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 I love it. And I thank you for letting me speak and for talking to me. I enjoyed my time with you and, uh, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your life, everybody. Hello. I hope everybody enjoyed that episode. I did. Uh, Miss Gibson or Mimi, as she wants me to call her, has been wonderful to me. She's helped me get some other interviews with different people. We chat. We chat on occasion on the phone. 
She's a wonderful person. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and we did her justice. Um, just to let you know that if you get feedback for us, you can email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or you can leave us a message on our Facebook page. Please feel free to um, subscribe to us on whatever podcast you're listening to because not only do we do interviews, which we've done a ton of already, but we also do movie discussions where I'm usually with a different co-host. Some, a lot of times the most frequent ones are my two older children, but a lot of times it's also guests that will come in and join us. I hope everybody has a wonderful day, and as always, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I also want to thank again Mimi Gibson for letting me interview her, and I also want to thank Beverly Washburn for helping me get this interview with Miss Gibson. Miss Washburn, I interviewed her last year. You can go back and listen to it, and she is just a wonderful person also. And to let this episode go out, we're going to have a little clip, audio clip, from 101 Dalmatians where they're going through the snow. They're trying to get the Dalmatians to shelter, all of them. And um, you'll hear Lucky speaking, so you get to hear Mimi sound like back in the day on how um, 101 Dalmatians. shelter for you at the dairy barn across the road. Oh, thank goodness. Purdy! Purdy! This way, Purdy. The dairy barn across the road. Come on, kids. It's not far. Come on. This way. Follow the collie. 